You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. The only people for me are the mad ones. The world is filled with the boring and the barely conscious. Misery loves company. But we don't have to live this way. Jessica and I are here to talk to those the system rejects, to radicals and thought criminals. The ones who never yawn or say a commonplace thing but push the boundaries of acceptable discourse. Those who stare reality in the face and dare it to be different. History isn't made by the timid, and fun is not had by the perpetually afraid. We are the mad ones. So let's get to it. Welcome to the mad ones. I'm your idiot bearded host who didn't take the time to write in an introduction to this episode for some freaking reason. Cam Harless, and with me as always is your doesn't like meat but needs a lot of protein hostess, Miss Jessica Green. <laughs> How, How you do you do? Jessica? Oh, I'm fine, thank you. <laughs> no, I, I, I eat meat. I just don't care for it. Like it's everybody's favorite food, and I just it's it's like you're speaking a language I don't understand, <laughs> and I am not into it. Um. But since I don't have a list of things to say, I'm just going to introduce our, our guest tonight, who is one of my buddies from the internet. He is the uh, he he works with the Tenth Amendment Center. He works with Shift Gold and manages all of the content on the, on that website. He does the Friday Gold Wrap podcast with Shift Gold. He has two other podcasts, I think. I may he may have another one I don't know about, but he has Godarchy and he also has Thoughts from My Hairy Head that he has not updated lately, and I miss it. Um, but beyond that, this is a man who works tirelessly for the cause of freedom. He fought he fought the Kentucky government over some some cameras that shouldn't have been there. He needed the information and they said no. He fought him anyway. This is a good guy. He is a, a an expert on the Constitution, wrote a book about it, Constitution Owner's Manual. I just love him. Welcome, Mike Meharry. Hi. That was a good intro <laughs> for, for winging it. You got I everything tried, correct. Man. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Except, well, Thoughts of Meharry Head's pretty much dead at this point. It's a dead head. I, I, I know, but it, I still love That's the name so much clever. that I can't yeah. mention it. Yeah, I love it's the my, name. That, so my, the credit for that has to go to my daughter. She actually came up with the name. She thought that was thought it'd be funny. And I was like, actually, that works. So I have <laughs> always said your last name as Mahari based on the name of that podcast. And then I've heard people say Mahari so many times lately. Yeah. And I'm like, have I been wrong? No, no, no. They're wrong. It's <laughs> Mahari. God. I, that's what I thought. And I'm I don't, like, I don't I, know how you get Mahari out of it, but whatever. I, I don't know. Maybe they, I, I don't know where they think your family's from, but. They're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so so how are you doing? It's been it's been a minute. The I, I had to like really rack my brain to come up with some sort of title for this because I made the perfect title for the episode the first time you were on, which was Dirty Mahari. Yes. And I don't know where to go from there. I keep trying and yes. sometimes I mean sometimes you just gotta admit that you that you hit perfection on the first try and it's just you know I peaked, man. Yeah, you I peaked, peaked and that's it. <laughs> Uh, so to get us started, we were talking a little bit about um, pissing off our audience because I think that both of us are in the same vein when it comes to that because uh, just the other day, a federal judge out of San Diego 
dis decided a case that was um, it was essentially the gun rights association or something right. like that had sued the the state of California because they thought that the um, assault weapons ban was unconstitutional and that it should be overturned. And so you hear this, and for me, there's this tension because, you know, I'm an anarchist and I believe in gun rights, absolutely. And I'm like, hey, my, my good friend Aaron can now get that AR-15 that he wants. So I'm like, that's awesome. And then there's this other part of me that was the kid who studied originalist constitutionalism for a couple of years who's like, but it's the, the judge was actually unconstitutional. So let's, you want to piss some people off? <laughs> If we must. Yeah, I'm I'm of the mind that you should never celebrate a politically connected lawyer in a black dress uh, yes. granting you some right. And everybody's all excited. First off, you have to remember that this is a district judge. So yes. it's going to go to the Court of Appeals. It will go to the Ninth Circuit, I believe, which is probably one of the most progressive of the court circuit so they're going to overturn him yes uh, and then it then it might go to the supreme court which is what everybody hopes and the supreme court might take it and they might decide that this uh, judge is correct but then again they might not and here's here's my problem with it if they decide not and i feel like that nine times out of ten the federal court system is more interested in protecting government than it is protecting individual rights. So nine times out of 10, you're going to get a crappy decision from a federal court. Yeah. And nine times out of 10, once that happens, it's going to apply to the entire United States. So what is really fundamentally an issue in California suddenly becomes a precedent that applies to me here in Florida. Mm -hmm. So, I am a firm believer that the biggest threat to my liberty is centralized power. And you're not going to centralize power and ultimately get liberty. You're going to centralize power and ultimately get more tyranny. So you might get some breadcrumbs from the federal courts. They might get it right. Maybe, just maybe, possibly, I doubt it, but maybe they'll come <laughs> up with a Supreme Court decision someday that says that this assault weapons ban is unconstitutional. But I, if I had to bet, I'm not a betting man, but if I was a betting man, I would bet that's not going to happen. But even if it does, the other 90 court cases that go to the Supreme Court, you're going to get screwed over and it's going to apply to the entire United States. I can give you all kinds of examples. Um, recently, we've seen a lot of uh, debate about qualified immunity, which is mm -hmm. this legal doctrine that gives police officers the uh, the ability to basically violate individual rights at will. Uh, and it's impossible to sue them because they are covered by this doctrine called qualified immunity. This is purely an invention of the Supreme Court. This isn't any kind of state law. It's not even a law at all. It is a Supreme Court doctrine that has evolved over time that effectively protects uh, police officers. So what's happening now is you're seeing a lot of states pass laws that create a pathway to sue police officers under the state constitution, uh, which all state constitutions incidentally have a bill of rights. Um, mm -hmm. And 
instead of suing in federal court, you sue in state court, and then they can actually put a provision in the law that says qualified immunity is not a defense. Because if it goes to federal court, you're going to have the qualified immunity defense that pops up. So that's just one example of how the the courts, along with this incorporation doctrine, which basically tries to apply the federal bill of rights to every state, uh, ends up screwing over basically everybody in the country. Uh, uh, No-knock warrants is another example of a court-created doctrine that has been applied to all states. So, you know, California is in an unfortunate position when it comes to the right to keep and bear arms because uh, their constitution doesn't really have any provision for that. Um, And in my opinion, instead of risking my, uh, you know, watering down my ability to have an assault weapon. Why don't you people in California take care of your own business and amend your constitution or, you know, leave or something. I don't know. I just, you know, bottom line is the, the, uh, centralization of power is not going to ultimately get you liberty. It might get you a breadcrumb here and there, but ultimately it's going to end up screwing you over. And really the only thing that we have in the United States that protects us at all from overreaching government is the the concept of federalism, the fact that states do have some autonomy and that they can push back against federal power. And uh, the more you use the incorporation doctrine in the federal courts, the more that gets washed away and the more it becomes this one centralized national power where either Donald Trump or Joe Biden is uh, is calling all the shots. And, and I just don't see that as a pathway to liberty. So, you know, well, it's all it makes me think of that conversation I've had with, you know, Suzanne uh, Sherman I do that I've had with her. A few, t- me too. I miss her. Um, but you know, a few times uh, we've talked about constitutional carry and how much we despise that term mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because it. And it was how I was having a conversation with someone the other day, and they were like, "Oh, I want constitutional carry. I love it. I love them talking about constitutional carry." And I'm like, "No, permitless carry is a better way to put it. Yeah, exactly. Because you're telling them what weapon to use against you to overturn it, right? Which they're going to use the Constitution and the Fourteenth Amendment, and they're gonna they're gonna screw you. So." How about you not call it that? <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's, you know, that gets to a deeper issue. And that's a, a mistake a lot of people make. Uh, this mm-hmm. idea that the Constitution, the Bill of Rights is somehow mm-hmm. giving you rights. Yeah. And, you know, that was never the intent. The Bill of Rights, when it was written, was simply a further restriction on federal power. That's what it was intended to do. Mm-hmm. It was to make clear that the federal government cannot take any actions that infringe upon these rights that were already assumed to exist. Yes. Um, and then state constitutions have their own Bill of Rights, which were meant to prevent states from uh, doing things that uh, infringe upon these rights that, again, already exist. The rights are considered to be already in place. But a lot of people just think, oh, the Second Amendment's there, so therefore I have the right because the Second Amendment says so. That's dumb. Government didn't yeah. give you rights, and if the government is what's giving you rights, and you've got a, a lot bigger problem than uh, than than some judge in California. Yeah, that, that's a that's a fun thing because I was, I think Monica Perez was on my show at one point. On I don't know if you were there for that one or not, Jessica, but I had said that the the Bill of Rights was a mistake, and you, the look on her face was so funny because you know, like there are good things that came from the Bill of Rights, sure. but. I, I consider that and we the people as to what have been at least the Bill of Rights has been become a really terrible lie that makes people believe that our rights come from government. Yeah. And that's why I say it's a mistake because it's it's like, sure, it we can kick the can down the road with the Bill of Rights. But at the end of the day, 
like how many people do you talk to on a daily basis who believe their right to own a weapon to protect themselves comes from the second amendment yeah it I, doesn't I, I know a lot of them yeah exactly <laughs> my <laughs> second <laughs> amendment rights okay i wonder if this presents um kind of an argument against the idea of like coalition building with like the major parties because you hear that all the time lately where they say well you can uh, have a coalition with somebody in the republican party based on one issue but if it's so easy to be fooled into thinking something like what happened in california is a victory when it's not actually a victory when it actually leads down the road to us having less rights i wonder if that's kind of a, a an argument against getting entangled in that way I, I don't know. I mean, I think it, it really comes down to education. And that's why, you know, I'm an anarchist. I hate the term anarchist. I usually usually use the term voluntarist. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm the weirdo voluntarist who wrote a book about the Constitution because I'm supposed to hate the Constitution. <laughs> and and I can make the argument that the Constitution has no like moral or ethical authority because of consent. I, I can make all those arguments. And yes, I've read Spooner. You know, other anarchists like to try. Oh, yeah, Spooner. Like, that's a mystery to me. Like, I've never heard that. <laughs> but you can use it as a weapon. Yeah. You can take their weapon and use it against them. E exactly. But, I, I mean, I think it's important for people to understand. I mean, a lot of what people think they know about the Constitution is erroneous. It's It's mm -hmm. been... Um, it's not taught. So that's one of the things that the 10th Amendment Center does is we teach the original meaning, the original understanding, the original purposes of these things. Because, you know, as far as government systems go, the constitutional system as it was conceived is actually not bad. I mean, certainly a hell of yeah. a lot better than what it's evolved into. Yeah. Uh, but going back to this idea of coalition building, if you do have the right principles and you understand what you're doing, then I think coalition building can be very valuable. I think it's just very important to understand who you are making your coalitions with right. uh, and, and making sure that, that the, uh, the end goal that you are trying to achieve is going to be a positive net win for Liberty. So uh, I do a That's lot of coalition Mary Rothbard believed in. Well, yeah, exactly. I do a lot of coalition building with folks on the left with surveillance and police issues, um, mm -hmm. and, and they may be coming at it from, you know, a different reason. Uh, you know, if you ever, if you ever read like the, the real hardcore lefty objection to surveillance, it, it's usually couched in terms of racism and, and inequity and those types of things. And, and, you know, I, I don't think that they're necessarily invalid arguments, but I don't think they're the best mm -hmm. arguments, but regardless, you know, if we can get a, a bill passed or an ordinance passed that limits surveillance in some way, shape or form. I'm all for that. So I work with anybody yeah. who in the world who wants to work on that, you know, same thing with something like asset forfeiture. Um, so there are a lot of things where we can, we can work with us and we do work with folks on, on the, uh, on the right with guns, but we do it in a different way. So the 10th amendment center strategy is, is really pushing bills, uh, like the one that passed in Arizona this year that, um, prohibits the enforcement of certain aspects of federal gun control by state and local police, um, so right. you're you're kind of cutting off uh, part of that enforcement. And of course, the federal government depends on state and local governments to do just about everything. So we have a tremendous amount of power uh, to to limit the, the scope of federal uh, overreach by simply not cooperating with them. Uh, mm -hmm. And so that's really what we do at the Tenth Amendment Center. We'll work in coalitions and we'll work with guns right act gun uh, you know gun rights. Uh, Second Amendment people on that issue, um, 
we just try to stay away from the the court stuff. You know, I think sue in federal court is the dumbest political strategy <laughs> in the entire world. We're going to yeah. we're going to go to this thing that is part of the federal government and try to get it to limit the federal government. You know, it's, it's like madness. Um, the analogy yeah. that I've used in my book is uh, is, uh, you know, if, if it's a football game. And uh, I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. I'm going to have the New York Giants player be the referee in the game. You know, that's basically what right. people are doing. We're going to have yeah. we're going to have the government investigate the government. That'll fix things. <laughs> <laughs> the FBI has investigated the FBI yeah, and found right. that the FBI was not at fault. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Or, or you go to Lexington, Kentucky, and and uh, you know your government will sue you. Oh, do you, oh, here's the thing, mentioning the FBI. I was talking to Monica earlier today. There was this story. Um, so speaking of the Constitution, the feds hate the Fourth Amendment. Of That's very, very clear. Look at the NSA. Look at the the different um, – I mean, look what you, what you fought in Lexington. Yeah. I mean – Well, and I'll tell you this. The, the Fourth Amendment is one of the things – if you really want to start looking at where the federal courts have eroded away – constitutional protection and applied that to all over the country. The fourth amendment is the prime example of that. There are so many things that, um, that, that the federal government has said, Oh, this is fine. If local police do this. And, you know, if, if in a decentralized system, you know, at least state each state court would have to, um, uh, F it up as opposed to the, you know, central authority effing it up for everybody. But yeah, the right. fourth amendment is one of the, one of the most uh, watered down and bastardized, uh, amendments that that exists well one of the things i mean i guess in some sense the constitution has protected us in that way because the fbi really hates encryption they hate yeah. encrypted messaging they oh, yeah. hate that people can talk and that they can't get a back door and a lot of the american companies signal and you know even apple has put up a fight or at least look like they've put up a fight mm -hmm. but um the other day they this news article came out where the fbi had um pressured a criminal into letting them use the company anom that he i don't know how he had access to it at all but essentially what they did is they made a bunch of devices that uh used encrypted messaging mm -hmm. and they made twelve thousand devices and they and they gave them to all of these different um criminal organizations you know motorcycle clubs and stuff right. like that and but they did it in European countries and in Australia because they couldn't, they probably couldn't get away with that in the, in the United States. Right. And so what had happened is in Australia and these other places, they had uh, banned the encrypted messaging services. And so they, you, these the guys in the FBI and these police agencies in other countries used their confidential informants to give these devices to the top dogs in these criminal organizations. And so they had this encrypted app, which hilariously enough, they had to pay for monthly in order to use. Right. And so they were telling all the stuff they were going to do, how they were going to kill people. Right. They showed pictures of cocaine hidden in, in bananas or whatever, right. like all this different stuff. And the these organizations were just reading these texts and arresting people. Yeah, It was like minority report, but in real life. I bet I was you like, dollars <laughs> to donuts that's happening here. I would, I would bet as I'm well. Sure. I bet it's called something I mean, else. They'll, they'll, yeah, they'll, they'll make it quiet. So there's the thing that we actually know about. It's called parallel construction. And so, you know, not to get too far into the weeds of, on the technical aspect of it, but, but basically what happens is uh, the, the NSA or uh, 
local police, whoever it is, will illegally get information. Um, a lot of times this is information that comes from the NSA that is passed on to state and local law enforcement through these fusion centers and, and uh, what they call the information sharing environment. And uh, what they'll do is they'll they'll get evidence, but they can't use it because they don't have a warrant. So they'll use that evidence to actually create the probable cause to get a warrant and then create uh, this parallel investigation uh, using legally obtained information. But they had already gotten the information illegally to begin with. And this is a thing. I mean, we know this is happening. Bill Binney, who is a, a former uh, NSA security officer, um, has talked about this. So, you know, they, they do stuff like this. They just have to be a little bit more circumscribed by it. It's yeah. like the whole thing with the Stingray devices, which are these uh, clever little tools that law enforcement has that will actually, uh, they spoof a cell phone tower. And so if one of these uh, cell site simulators is in your vicinity, it will force your phone to lock onto it instead of the nearest cell tower. And then once it's locked in, the police can access your uh, access your data. They can listen to phone calls. They can track your location. Uh, these things are, are being used by law enforcement. And when police departments buy them, they are forced to, not forced to, required. I'm sure they do it gladly. Uh, but they have to uh, sign non-disclosure agreements that they won't even tell anybody that they have these things. And uh, there's actually been incidents where prosecutors have dropped cases because they would rather let a criminal go than, you know, admit that they're using these tools. So this stuff is happening in, in secret all over. The Surveillance is is one of the most pervasive and, and uh, horrible things that our government is doing. I think I think Snowden just hit the tip of the iceberg. I noticed yeah. today that Joe Biden uh, hinted, uh, made a comment that was obviously about uh, Snowden. He was going through the litany of horrors uh, that the Russians are doing and in, in hiding these cyber terrorists, you know. Yeah, I'm sure Snowden. That reminds me of the Enigma machine during World War II, where they had cracked this code um, that the Germans were using. Mm -hmm. And so they were able to access the movements of the German troops and their Navy and all that kind of stuff. But because they didn't want the Germans to know that they had the code, they had to allow ships to be sunk, including ships full of civilians. Yeah. And so it makes you wonder how much of uh, this criminal activity do they let go on, yeah. um, maybe harmful to regular people just to preserve their. Um, also, I, I think I know what you're about to say, which is the FBI ran the biggest pedophile website on the Internet. Right. Um, in an effort to catch pedophiles. And then after their whole operation had gone down, they left the website up and it continued for a while. I don't know if it's still up now. Probably yeah. not. I think Hopefully it was like not. six months. But it continued to be the largest uh, pedophile website on the Internet. And it was right. run by our own government. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, stuff like this happens all the time. It's uh, yeah. anybody who trusts the government is absolutely nuts. I was yeah. uh, listening to a, a episode of do y'all know the Dangerous History podcast? That's no. CJ, right? Sounds CJ up Coleman. my alley, yeah. though. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. awesome. And uh, he's he's been releasing some old back episodes, and uh, I'd listen to one today when I was working out uh, about how the uh, the various government agencies, mostly connected with the Manhattan Project and and the development of nuclear weapons back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, uh, did radiation sp experiments on unwitting people. <laughs> Operation Sunshine, right? Yeah. Well, there was there was a number of them that that were done, but yeah, that that was one of them. So yeah, that reminds me of the Tuskegee experiment where they were injecting men, uh, black men in the yep. South with um, syphilis. Every time, Unwitting. every time, 
Every time anybody asks my wife why she doesn't want to take the vaccine, she says, have you heard of Tuskegee? <laughs> there you go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the, the program continued for something like 40 years. Yeah. And they, they had to be sued to stop it. Did you see recently, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm so full of news. I've been on the propaganda report, so I have news in my head. <laughs> um, but um, the other day, did you, you know, the, the colonial pipeline hack, yeah. the ransomware attack that happened the, mm -hmm. uh, the other day, it came out that the FBI just happened upon the private key to the wallet that the dark side hackers used to get the Bitcoin. Yeah, I saw the I saw an article, the headline and never did read the article. But I was like, huh. Yeah, they just happened to find it. And it's it's funny because and I mentioned this on the propaganda report, but the week before the ransomware attack on Colonial Pipeline happened, there was a report done by the ransomware um, task force or something that was a part of the it's some uh, some non non political organization that's like filled with all like deep tech right. people. Um, and the week before they put out a report on how to combat ransomware and like page 14 and on was all about cryptocurrency, how it needed to be regulated, how mm -hmm. how deeply it needed to be regulated. And then you see just recently uh, from the left, the left's talking points, Elon Musk is not using Bitcoin with Tesla anymore right. because of climate change. And then three days ago, Donald Trump comes out and says that Bitcoin's a scam and it's trying to be um, com competition to the dollar. And so he's talking to like the people on the right who don't know much about this, making them want to be against Bitcoin. Right. And it's like right. that plus this encryption thing and how much they hate that gives me hope because right now the technology is outclassing the government to the point where they're having to make up stories about how they found a private key. Because I don't right. believe that they found a private key. Right. Come on. You, you know, know, but you know good. what's coming. What's coming down the pike, though, is the uh, the uh, central bank digital currencies. Yes, uh, the, the digi yuan's already out there. Yeah, the, the digital yep. yuan. Uh, Sweden has a digital currency, and uh, there's already some some papers that are getting ready to come out about a digital dollar um, because they want. Well, there to... is U.S. dollar coin that's available on Coinbase right now. Yeah. Well, this is a, you know, the, the, the war on cash is a whole different, interesting subject. You know, I mean, obviously I'm not a big fan of cash because it's fiat, fiat. paper valueless, <laughs> but if I'm going to have to have fiat currency, I do want it to have paper because, you know, I can use that anonymously. Yeah. And, uh, well, and that's the argument. That's what I brought up to Monica. It's like every argument against anarchy is the same arguments that are used against Bitcoin and cryptocurrency right mm -hmm. now is that they, that it's anonymous and that criminals use it. And I'm like, oh, you mean like cash, right? which is the status quo? You're yeah. arguing against the status quo. That is yeah. what cash is. Right. And they want to get rid of that too, though, the digi-dollar. Yeah. So they want to they control everything. And uh, that's what's kind of creepy about the whole idea of central bank digital currencies because, you know, it goes into your digital wallet. And uh, then if your social score isn't up to par, well, you know, sorry, Cam, you can't buy groceries this week, you know? Right. Well, and that's, that, that was kind of the not buying groceries thing was like the, you know, the, uh, DeSantis saying no vaccine passports. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people who are against that on principle because he was telling private companies not right. to do that. 
But at the same time, you want the federal government wants to wanted to implement that across the board. Mm -hmm. And then he's saying no. And I just want to be able to buy groceries without having to prove my vaccine (laughs) status. (laughs) Like, so, I mean, in, in the realm of like having to choose the best of bet two bad choices, that is my choice. Let me buy my groceries, please. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But you work with shift gold. I do. And and uh, Jessica has two half questions from her husband. <laughs> All right. Yeah, by, or, by the law gold. of the state of Georgia, they are half my questions, but they do come from my husband. Um, <laughs> he, he brought up a really excellent point, which is in a world where gold was the de facto currency, say like the dollar collapsed and then we had a de facto currency of gold, what would that look like? Would we be carrying around sacks of gold on our side like in the medieval times or like how would that work out because like most people i know don't have gold no i think that you know i don't know i mean that the the honest answer to that question is i don't know Uh, i don't think that is a barrier to a gold standard so to speak though because i mean we've had it before um where basically you know your paper is backed by actual gold and that was the original system. I mean, you had a, a, a was, it could be gold or silver, but uh, if you had this this bill, the certificate, then you could actually right. go to the bank and get your physical gold. But by and large, the the trade happened with the pieces of paper. I think yeah. probably more likely would be some type of digital scenario where um, your banking system held held gold on your behalf, and then uh, you know it moved. Uh, moved through electronic and this is already starting to happen i mean there's a company in canada called gold money which happens to own shift gold for full disclosure um there's a a company out in utah called united precious metals Uh, and then there's actually a state bullion depository in texas and uh, they're all you know working on ways to make uh, transactions in gold and silver basically seamless uh, and and you know you can you can buy a cup of coffee because you're trading in in increments of gold so right. I, I would imagine that it would be something in, along along that scenario well have you have you guys ever read the i haven't read the whole thing i read like the first couple chapters but have you read uh, what has government done to our money by murray rothbard yes mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, what we're describing is the invention of money or of paper money right now, which is, you know, there was gold. People used gold. Gold was too heavy to carry around. People left the gold at the bank and then they would get a receipt from their bank with how much gold they had and then would transfer it between accounts in the bank. And so it's just we're just we like doing it digitally is just uh, an update on the classic way that it was before you know, Nixon took off, took us away from the gold standard. Right. Right. Exactly. That reminds me of um, Ben Bernanke giving testimony uh, before Congress and Ron Paul asks him, well, you know, if gold is not a store of value, then why do all of these world banks hold thousands and thousands of, you know, pounds of gold? And his answer was, well, tradition. Yeah. (laughs) That's interesting that you mentioned that because I actually just wrote an article today for shift gold, uh, kind of going off of a uh, report that the World Gold Council put out. And they uh, did a survey of, I think there were 54 or 56 central banks that they surveyed, asking them, you know, if they plan to buy gold in the next year, why do you hold gold? And there's a whole host of reasons that central bank hold gold. And and incidentally, none of them were tradition. Uh, the the <laughs> most common reason was because gold tends to perform well 
in uh, in times of crisis. You know, the the value of gold, and really, this is you know that's the the appeal of gold is you can't uh, you can't counterfeit it. Well, you can't counterfeit it, but you can't um, you can't print it. You know, you can't just right. say uh, we're going to we're going to make more gold so that we can have more money in the system, which is exactly what the Federal Reserve does with money. So uh, when you do have these times of crisis and uh, your your central banks are churning out fiat currency, then the value of gold is going to go up and more dollars chasing the same amount of gold. Uh, and, and that's really you know, that stability is why all of these central banks are holding on to gold. It's not tradition. It's silly. Um, and now, you know, there's nothing that says the gold has to be the the form of money. There could be other things that would evolve over time. Uh, you know, there could be some type of crypto, could be Bitcoin, who knows? Um, okay. The thing that, that we need in terms of, uh, you know, going back to some sense of, of economic stability is we need currency competition where the market can determine what is the best form of money. Let Bitcoin and uh, gold and silver and uh, dollars and yen, let them all compete in the uh, arena of mon money and, and may the best money win. Uh, but mm -hmm. of course, governments don't want to do that. Governments want to have a monopoly, which is uh, you know enforced by guns. And so yeah. uh, we're stuck with fiat until it collapses. So. <sighs> What was your other question, Jessica? Well, it kind of just was like about why do central banks hold so much gold? Yeah, I got But you. I mean, th that's kind of an obvious answer. Like, you know, they've I, used gold since basically money has existed. <laughs> like, I don't know what they used before pretty, gold, but it's shells. what? Pretty shells. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> I mean really, shiny. Gold, people gold like is, it. Gold has been a monetary, uh, a monetary metal for like 5,000 years. Um, right. in, in some way, shape, or form. And then, of course, silver is, is very similar. Silver is interesting in terms of, it's a little bit different in terms of the market for silver because there are so many more industrial uses for silver. So about 50 to 60% of your demand for silver comes from use in electronics and uh, yeah. and various other industrial applications. Gold has a much smaller um, uh base of use it's primarily used for jewelry and, and for money so the price of silver tends to be more volatile than gold uh, but interestingly from an investment standpoint uh, when you do have inflation and currency devaluation silver actually tends to outperform gold over the mm -hmm. over the over those periods so do you think it's because silver is more accessible because it's not as pricey as gold I, I think that's probably part of it and and part of it is that uh, when you're having uh, quote unquote good times economically. Uh, you're, you're seeing more silver being used for industry and mm -hmm. uh, there tends to become this gap between gold and silver. It's called the silver gold ratio. And mm -hmm. um, because gold is more stable, you'll see uh, uh, the, the price of silver decrease in terms of the price of gold. And then that gap tends to close when you have uh, the, the monetary mess like we have now. We saw that uh, happen actually during the uh, um, the pandemic. You know, price of gold mm -hmm. was up. I don't remember the percentages. I want to say like 24% last year. And, and then yeah. silver was up significantly more than that. Absolutely. Money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me, I, I need some. it, but I need it. <laughs> yeah. I need, I need some of that. Yeah. yeah. I need it. Yeah. Um, 
I was going to ask you about um, your project Godarchy because mm -hmm. it's something that's very interesting to me being a guy with a biblical studies degree. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of the God thing, especially Jesus. Yes. Um, <laughs> and so I was curious about that show because I know you've you've had a fireside chat with an atheist. I mm -hmm. believe you've had one with a Muslim, haven't you? I have. And, and a okay. lesbian. That's true. That is yeah. our Same friend. Kim. Yeah, Kim. No, All right. uh, um, my, my friend Kim, who oh. started the first iteration of this show with me, who I miss greatly. Yeah. Uh, keep keep Kim in your prayers. If you have the chance, her mother is sick and uh, so is Mike. So keep Mike's mother in your prayers. Yeah, as well. our, our, our mothers okay. are on similar trajectories. Um, so keep them if, if you pray, all. keep them in, keep them in your prayers. Sure. But uh, yeah, Kim's a great one. And I want to have her on the show at some point to talk about stoicism yeah. because I want to know. I want to know what this is because she says that it has really changed her life and i'm very curious about that but i'm wondering um being a christian anarchist podcast uh how has that been received outside of you know mine in your circles because our our circle is very christian and anarchist so <laughs> yeah i don't know i mean you know because it's my circle um, right i i have gotten the the listenership is is pretty solid considering what a niche type of uh, show it is. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I have gotten a lot of positive feedback. I haven't gotten a lot of I haven't gotten any negative feedback on the show nice. itself. Good. Um, I, I've gotten I get a lot of pushback on the Godarchy Facebook page. You know, people <laughs> want to come in and, and troll atheists, online atheists. Oh, some of that. Um, some Christians who want to push the point that you can't be an anarchist. You know, the whole Romans mm -hmm. thirteen thing. Um, but no, I think you know it's 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 been it's been well received. Uh, like people at my church that I try to explain it to, they kind of glaze over and they don't they don't get it. <laughs> We um, may have some people from Jessica's church watching. Oh, and so hi. hi. Entirely I'm glad possible. You're here. Yeah. Yeah. I love we, Jesus um, too. <laughs> <laughs> we actually brought up Romans 13 in my catechumen class last night where we were talking about um because during the divine liturgy, we pray for civil authorities. Right. And the way that I've kind of reconciled this in my heart is okay, well, first of all, you pray for your enemies. And mm -hmm. even if you don't consider the civil authorities your enemies, you at least want them to make good decisions and be guided by something good um, yeah. and pure that you want, you know? So that's how I kind of deal with that. But at the same time, I was trying to ask about, you know, how do we uh, reconcile that with something like Samuel 8, which right. talks about, uh, you know, the, the Jews wanted a king. They wanted to be like other nations. They said, give us a king, give us a king. And God mm -hmm. is like, man, you guys do not want, want a king. A king. <laughs> and here are all the reasons why. And funny <laughs> enough, when you look at those reasons that are enumerated in Samuel 8, it's mm -hmm. like, this is all the same stuff the government is doing today. Yeah. I mean, it's not one, one darn thing on that list that's any different than what governments do today. So God said, okay, I'm going to give them a king. They don't hate you. They hate me. But this yeah. is my responsibility. I'll give them a king. Yeah. So just like, how do we square like this obedience, the, the idea of obedience to civil authorities with something like Samuel 8? Yeah. And something that Cam has told, I'm sorry to roll over you there. No, um, what Cam has told me is um, we have to understand that um, Paul was writing specific letters to specific people about specific events. And then everybody tries to sort of like scale this up into like modern government and modern reality dogma. Um, right, to suit their purposes most of the time. So Romans 13 when it's you, not Roman Romans 13 when it's me. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay, like there's no consistency here. 
And that's sort of like why I get attracted to orthodoxy, because at least, you know, there's some consistency here. Yeah. But um, where do you, where do you fall on that? Well, yeah, I think, you know, it's also really interesting to, uh, I think, Samuel 8, that's a perfect example. Um, I think another really interesting uh, thing to kind of balance Romans 13 with is uh, go read Revelation 13. Has mm-hmm. a very different view of the state. You know, it's this mm-hmm. whole idea of Babylon and, and worldly kingdoms. And Nero. Uh, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, if, if you take those two, and there's a, a theologian that I'm really, really fond of, uh, William Stringfellow, who is an mm-hmm. Episcopal theologian. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's written a couple of books, uh, one specifically on Romans 13 and civil authority. Uh, and then another one just basically uh, kind of, uh, you know, a stranger in a strange land kind of thing. Um, but he he basically makes the point in that all of these worldly governments are p- principalities and yes. they are dominated by Satan. And he says the mm-hmm. preeminent princip- the, the preeminent moral authority of the state is death. It's it's literally part of Satan's worldly control. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it exists for a reason. God allowed it to exist and God uses it for his purposes. But there's right. nothing in Romans 13 either, even that tells me that I am required to be obedient to everything that the government tells me to do or that I am to lift it up as some shining example of uh, of a city on moral a moral authority. Yeah, it is. It <laughs> right. is literally Babylon. It is going to be destroyed in its time. And uh, David Lipscomb is a, another theologian. He's actually one of the founders of the, I think the Church of Christ. Uh, he wrote a book that uh, really, I think, explains this very well. It traces the whole idea of Babylon and, and the Tower of Babel as kind of being the first worldly kingdom and how that uh, basically you've just seen this power transfer from empire to empire throughout history. You know, you go from uh, the Babylonian Empire to the Greek Empire to the Roman mm-hmm. Empire to all of these little empires we have today. And they are all rooted in violence, force, and coercion. And these are not Christian mm-hmm. things. So we don't rebel against them, you know. And we saw this example in the early church. Uh, the early church did not obey Rome, they refused mm-hmm. to bow down and participate in the civil religion, which was, you know, all all of this pagan religion by and large, they wouldn't even serve in the Roman military. Um, And that's why we have martyrs because they refuse to submit to these authorities. But on the flip side of that, they didn't rebel. They didn't try to create a violent revolution to overthrow Rome. You know, that's what the Jews wanted Jesus to do. And and Jesus refused to do it. You know, he said, put your sword away. And he showed us a completely different path toward a kingdom in, in which he literally submitted to death and thereby conquered death. That's the, the, the pattern that we as Christians are to follow. Um, so yeah, I think my, my kind of, um, you know, the personification, if you will, of Romans 13 to me is somebody like Rosa Parks who did not obey an unjust law, but when the police came, she didn't riot and tear up the bus and hit the police officer in the face. She went to jail. Right. She accepted the punishment that was met out to her, but she did not submit to something that was unjust or evil. And, you know, it's obvious just by basic logic that Romans 13 can't mean what a lot of people say it means when they say, well, you have to obey government because nobody is going to say, 
well, those were uh, those Nazi guards. They sure did a good job there. You know, right, right. <laughs> they had to do that because that was what their government. No, no, nobody with any ounce of sanity is going to say that. So clearly it doesn't mean absolute obedience to the state. So there must be something else. And I think there is a tension. I think there there's a balance between Romans 13 and Revelation 13. And, uh, you know, as as believers in Christ, it's it's not always simple. We can't we can't boil everything down to a dogma. And I think that's really kind of this human nature. We want a list, right? We want to, yeah. we want to know right. that we can have this piece of paper and I can check off these things and, and God must accept me. And, uh, you know, that, that's the type of religion that I grew up in a very, uh, legalistic, um, you know, right wing kind of evangelical, uh, church. And, and now that I look back, I realize that that whole thing is really designed to control God. It's, it's mm-hmm. this idea is I can, I'm not gay. I'm not divorced, and uh, I have right. not committed very much adultery, so therefore God must let me in. And <laughs> that works really well until you get to the point where you can't check something off the list. And, you know, my spiritual life fell apart when I got divorced. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, just I, I had to try to pretend to be an atheist for about five years in order to deal with the cognitive dissonance. And I know that game. Yeah. So so we have to, it, you know, it's not a dogma. It's a relationship with the with a person. And it's it's not all cut and dry. And I, I don't have a lot of patience with people who want to, you know, start proof texting uh, with two or three verses that you must do this. Uh, right. Makes me a little queasy. <laughs> yeah, it. I was also thinking of. Um, I don't know if you guys will recognize the name, but Pastor James Coates in Canada, he was recently arrested by Canadian authorities for holding uh, Pasca services, mm-hmm. and um, they they weren't able to arrest him at the church because the parishioners were protecting him. So they waited until he was driving on the highway, right. and the images of him being like manhandled and carried off by police for his faith kind of lit a fire in me and I started yeah. I had stopped because of COVID I was on a church search and seeing that and seeing that passion and seeing that faith was really inspirational to me and made me start seeking out church again yeah. and so there is value in that sort of resistance but you know he again as you say he didn't strike anyone he didn't right. you know do any of the um, militaristic or aggressive things that we would associate with resisting yeah. or resistance to a state he just you know was faithful to his religion and that was enough to inspire someone thousands of miles away from him to seek out faith and seek out the church and so i you know from perpetua in rome right up to james Coates, you know we're kind of called to uh adhere to our consciousness yes and i think that's why the government oftentimes is very denigrating to people of faith and uh once it removed from every public square and every public mention that it can because it does have that power. Rome Rome wasn't defeated by the sword. Rome no. was Christianized. Mm-hmm. The Vikings were not defeated by the sword. They were Christianized. Right. And yep. that's it's a different method. Jesus's yeah. methods are different. Yeah. There's so well, much power in peaceful resistance. Yes. You know, and and you look at somebody um and you know, somebody like Martin Luther King and I'll say that. All oh, that damn commie which is a which is another <laughs> subject that we could dig into if you want to this whole idea that we're supposed to reject somebody just because you know that that if this person I disagree with this one thing so everything ever that they said is wrong uh, I hate it drives that. me crazy but you yeah. know when you look at the power of 
you know, it was sparked by Rosa Parks refusing to give up her seat on the bus. And then you had Martin Luther King and others who carried that forward. The civil rights movement was by, by and large from the African-American perspective, very peaceful and nonviolent. And there was so much power when you had these images of these people who were just peacefully protesting, having water cannons shot at them and dogs sicked on them and those things. Yeah, That resonated with people. That's what killed John, uh, uh, Jim Crow. You know, it wasn't it wasn't uh, yeah. somebody pulling out an AR-15 and gunning down the gunning down the state cops. It's not going right. to change anything. Violence begets violence. The sword is going to bring you the sword. Jesus even said that. Um, he lived and by, that's the actually, sword, by the sword. That's right. actually something that affected uh, Jessica because kind of with, you know, seeing the dogs attack the the black protesters, Jessica saw a man attack senator Rand paul mm -hmm. and he saw she saw people cheering it and that started a change in her yeah i was a leftist i was an sjw warrior leftist all the way socialist all the way and then yeah. when Rand paul got attacked i saw my the people around me the people i considered allies cheering it yeah. i said guys political violence is not okay we need right. to to say no this is a line in the sand we say mm -hmm. we're not going to cross they're like what are you some kind of white a right winger. <laughs> yeah. I was called a white supremacist apologist, which, you know, okay, that's a lot of things. Right. Um, just for not cheering for somebody having their lung punctured yeah. uh, because of their political beliefs. And that caused a change in me. And, and interestingly, just to bring it back to Christianity a little bit, it's one of the few movements in the world that um, thrives under persecution. Yes. Because when you normally when you're beating people over the head for their beliefs, not a lot of people are willing to sign on to their beliefs. But there's some quality about Christianity that the more you punish it, the stronger it gets. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, that was, you know, certainly my case. It fire. drew me yeah. in. Yeah, for sure. Now, on the flip side of that, I got into uh, I got into a little bit of I actually ended up I very rarely block people from my Facebook page, but I actually ended up blocking <laughs> this dude because he oh, wow. was he was making the the trying to make the case for pitching commies out of helicopters. Mm. And, oh, you know, to me, that's that's no different than the leftist cheering for Ron Paul, Rand Paul's punctured lung. Yeah. You know, I agree. these are these are human beings and I can vehemently disagree with their political ideology. I'm not going to pitch them out of a helicopter. You know, <laughs> that's that's and it's not going to, again. That type of violence is going to beget more violence. You end up yeah. with these cycles of violence. We see it all the time. And, uh, you know, that's I, I'm not quite a pacifist. I carry a firearm because yeah. I, I, I'm going to protect my family and myself, mm -hmm. but I'm pretty darn close yeah. Uh, particularly when it comes to issues of, you know, the, the society in this state, you're not going to make kind of changes you want in the world uh, by shooting and killing people because you're going to, you know, even if you have this violent revolution and you overthrow the tyrant, if you're doing it with violence, you're creating it on a foundation of violence and mm -hmm. whatever raises out of that dust is also going to be founded on violence. And perfect example is the American revolution, you know, Re that was supposed to free us from tyranny. And, uh, and, and yes, I do mean the American revolution. Uh, what we have today is every bit as coercive and violent and, and tyrannical as King George III, arguably Not much more so. More so. Yeah. yeah. And then you go look at Canada. They didn't have a, a, a revolution and they're, you know, the, they're, the, they're about as free as we are and they have hockey. So 
<laughs> the the best line in the Patriot is when they're doing the convention in that church, and mm. he says, "Why should I fight? Why should I risk my children? A uh, a tyrant a thousand miles away, or three hundred uh, tyrants a mile away, can oppress my rights just as easily." Yeah, you know. So what what are you telling me to die for exactly? Yeah. And that every time I hear that line, it just like causes tingles because I'm like, "Yeah, he he's right. Yep. <laughs> We're living and it." I I think this actually plays well into a conversation that Jessica and I were having this morning. There was a tweet that came up where someone had wished, I'll just say wished death because I don't yeah. want to be too specific, but it was one of the things that I, I saw it and I was a little heartbroken to see it because uh, I have had a kind of major transformation over the years on violence and on how I view violence, how I view even past death, you know, if we're talking in, in Christian terms about how hell is and how it's written about in the Bible versus right. how people talk about it, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and so we were talking about that. And I think that one of the most important things that people who are Christian, which this is a very Christian heavy episode. If you don't like it, I don't care. Sorry. Um, too bad. <laughs> too bad. But we, it's that, that verse, and it, it goes back to what you were talking about with Babylon and all of the, the violence and hatred and the gods, the gods of this world. We are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against mm -hmm. principalities, powers, and rulers in the dark, in, in the unseen realm. Yep. yep. Our battle is not against people. Mm -hmm. Of course, there may be defensive moments sure. where we have to battle people. Mm -hmm. But if we don't get to that point, I don't... I. I mean, I could tell you my story about how something changed me and Jessica had a similar story. I'm sure you have one as well, but I don't want to see people in hell. No, I want to see, I want to see the evil in hell. Mm -hmm. I want to see it burn to a crisp and gone. That's what I want to see. Um, which we, you know, let's go, let's go into it. I think I've talked about it on the show before. Um, I had a pretty major ch shift in my heart when bin laden died which is a really weird thing to say because that is a weird if, thing to say if anyone deserved to die it was bin laden or hitler or whoever but i was at a christian college and i was sitting in my room and the news came out and i got excited i got happy that this man was dead mm -hmm. and i walked outside and i looked in the quad and there were people celebrating mm -hmm. this man's death and you know that still small voice just slapped me across the head mm -hmm. and said, "That man was once a baby. Voice. That yeah. man was someone that I loved. That was a, a essentially a blank slate that evil corrupted. Yep. And mm -hmm. to wish him death in hell forever is incredibly not my way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it changed me. Yeah, Bin Laden." And uh, Jessica was talking earlier. Hers was Saddam, Saddam Hussein Saddam that affected Hussein. her. Yeah, they put they. There was a video that had gone around. I don't know if it's genuine or not, but it was of his hanging. Yeah, and I remember kind of like looking at it, and then um, the moment where his neck snapped, I felt an incredible sickness. Yeah, I was like, why do I felt bad for feeling bad? I was like, I should be happy that this guy is dead. Mm -hmm. But there's something about seeing a human being killed that suddenly. It's not, you know, he's not Saddam Hussein anymore. He's just a man. He right. he was once a baby. And and I what I hate is the evil. And I don't hate the man. And that was rough for me. That that took me a while to kind of reconcile in my heart. But now I understand that 
I'm not supposed to hate him. I'm not supposed to hate the flesh and blood person. I hate the right. evil that was in, in him. Not to mention that I, when we were talking about this this morning, she was like, you've told me this before, Cam. <laughs> like, we've had this conversation. Yeah. like oh shoot Did i do it again yeah <laughs> uh, have you ever had a moment like that where there know. was I, that shift i think for me it was the, the, i can't pinpoint a moment it was more of a slow burn um you know i was i was very much the right wing warmonger uh, i remember very distinctly when gulf war one started uh, in 91 or 92 whenever that was um dating myself but I, I remember very specifically going home from work and uh, being excited about turning on the TV so I could watch the war. Yeah. Yeah. And did so they that have, that's uh, trading cards. <laughs> yeah, they did. They had the the. Uh, oh my god! They had the um, <laughs> gosh. I can't think of the word, but yeah, that, or was that the? Was it the first Gulf War or the second one where they had the uh, the terrorist cards? That was the second one. That was I think that was the second one. But they yeah. but they had like they did have some trading cards for the first one too. I don't know what kind. Yeah, but I did hear that that was a thing. Oh, um, and right. you know, for me, it was just like as 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 my political worldview shifted toward mm -hmm. libertarianism and eventually voluntarism, and as I you know. As I mentioned, there was a, a period of time in my life where I walked away from God. So all of this was kind of happening at the same time where, as I'm rediscovering my faith. And mm -hmm. I really came to a point in life where I was like, okay, I need to have a cohesive worldview. I, I think I was like a lot of Americans where everything's in its own little silo. You know, I've got work and I've got my faith and I've got school and I've got my political philosophy and all these things are kind of these separate things. It's like, a lot of times my faith and my political views don't really mesh. So there was really a, a, a couple of years where I was really trying to kind of create a cohesive worldview. And that was one of the things that just really struck me. If I'm taking seriously this, uh, this faith that calls me to love my enemies, that calls me to turn the other cheek, that calls me to pray for my enemies, you know, to not repay evil for evil. <coughs> If I'm serious about that, how can I support blowing up people I don't even know thousands of miles away? And then just kind of that, you know, that that realization, as you're talking about, that these people are human beings. These people are valued by God. They have value. They have families. They have loved ones. Um, you know, even even the terrorists, you know, it's just you can't justify killing them. And then this kind of realization getting towards what Cam's saying is that, you know, if, if we, you know, I don't want to get too much into deep theology, but if we do believe that, um, you know, we need to know Jesus Christ, if you snuff somebody's life out, then you're denying them that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And and so, yeah, it's just, for me, it was kind of something that, that slowly kind of came together. And then from a political perspective, this sounds kind of funny, but, um, <clears throat> You know, it was the realization I, I was the, the foreign policy was the last thing that I really had to wrestle with in terms of kind of letting go of my my neocon days. And um, it was something that actually Tom Woods said in a speech. And he said, you do realize that the same idiots who are running the domestic policy are running the foreign policy. Yeah. And it's like, uh oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, that and, and that sounds dumb. It's like, yeah, you, duh. 
But that was something that really, I, it was like, oh, these people are so awful on the economy, but hey, they can run the world, you know, uh, realizing that, that the central planners can't central plan anything was, was really mm -hmm. an important kind of revelation for me um, to, to kind of get away from the war. And honestly, that's really one of the reasons that I started Godarchy as a website was I just wanted there to be some kind of anti-war voice that was coming from a Christian perspective because so much of uh, Christendom in the United States is wrapped up in the flag and, and cheering the next war. And that ain't right. That was something that attracted me to my current church. I was on a church search for about two years mm -hmm. and I didn't walk into a single church that didn't have a, an American flag in the nave. Yep. And I was like, yeah, turn on my heels and then <laughs> walked right out of there. And so I, I, thank God have found one and they actually, you know, pray for Syria and they pray for Iraq and, right. you know, um, Stephen Rose of, um, Anarcho Christian podcast, mm -hmm. he put it so succinctly when he said, when he calls people image bearers, yeah. that we are the icon of God, we bear mm -hmm. his image. So when you're killing someone, even someone who's your enemy, you're killing someone who bears the image of your Lord. I mean, if that's not, I mean, I tingle when I say yeah, that it's because profound. it's like, if that's not, um, you know, a, 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 if that's not a sin to you, then, you know, reexamine what you're saying you believe here. Yeah. Because, yeah. Go ahead, Kim. Oh, mute, buddy. Mute. Hit your button. I said, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I was going to say to add to that, the concept of the um, image of God, um, if you actually look at the way that phrase works, it's not strictly an idea of how you are formed it's a job it's to be an imager of god mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so to be an imager of god is to create it is to tend the garden it is to make things beautiful it is mm -hmm. to put into the world yes. beauty and so god created humans and so if you are imaging god you are not murdering you are not right. cheering death you're not cheering destruction you are creating. And I think that's something that I've talked about a lot. And I know you and I have talked about that a lot together, Jessica, mm -hmm. is our calling, even Christian or not, should be at this moment to create, to build, to make. And I say specifically yourself, your family, your community, and then get from there. It's not my job to fix America. My job is to fix me, my family, and on from there. Mm -hmm. And if I can spread that example, I'm happy. But I just wanted to add that to the image bearer thing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Stringfellow, Stringfellow talks about death as being the uh, the, the preeminent uh, goal of the demonic. It is it is the ultimate of antichrist. Jesus is life and light, and Satan is darkness and death. So mm -hmm. if we're cheering death, we're literally cheering evil. We're cheering yes. the the personification of evil and and the goal of Satan, whether you you know take that as a, a personified person or just a, a catch term for evil. Um, yeah. The ultimate goal is death and destruction. That's mm -hmm. why you know that's why as Christians, I think we have to be anti-war because what is more destructive and death causing than war? I mean, this is this is purely antichrist and demonic. And Stringfellow yeah. does a really good job of of, of bringing that home, um, and and he lived that out. He actually was uh, he got in trouble with the feds because uh, he uh, harbored a fugitive. I can't think of the guy's name off the top of my head. He was he was a uh, uh, not Franciscan. Um, he was a he was a monk in one of the orders, Jesuit, I believe he was. 
uh, I want to say Brennan, but he went and burned a bunch of draft cards with napalm during the uh, the Vietnam <laughs> War, and the feds came after him. My man. And, uh, and, yep, and, and Stringfellow harbored him for a while, so he got in trouble with the feds. But um, yeah, I mean, we 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 as Christians, and, and I would suggest that, you know, um, for all the people that are like, oh, I'm tired of hearing about this Christian stuff. I'm not a Christian. I mean, this is also really part of, of kind of the fundamental idea behind the whole non-aggression principle, which is one of the cornerstones of libertarianism, right? The idea that, that we do not engage in aggressive force against other people. Yes, defensive force is, is allowed. And as Christians, we can debate to what extent as Christians, we would take defensive force. But I think all of us can agree if we're, if we're libertarians, that we're not supposed to be engaging in aggressive force against other people. That's fundamental to our political philosophy. And mm -hmm. uh, so this this attaches to that. I mean, how can you be s celebrating violence, force and coercion and then claiming to be somebody who embraces this idea of non-aggression? It doesn't. Mm -hmm. it, those two things don't work together. So you don't even have to you know, we can detach this from theology for folks who don't want to, um, you know, don't want to go down that road. But boy, right. I want to talk about theology right now. There's well, so much I want something... to talk about. <laughs> it is something that Judge Napolitano said during um, that wonderful speech that he gave at the Macy's Institute, what happened to the Constitution. He says, if you're going to make these arguments, you have to make them from both the secular and the spiritual aspect, because, sure. you know, you can't explain spiritual things to secular people. They're not mm -hmm. it's like the parables. They're not going to understand them. Right. So you have to be able to phrase these things in both capacities. And I think that the non-aggression principle is perfect for that. Like yeah. it's absolutely perfect. And the great thing about the non-aggression principle is that it um, is an axiom. It applies everywhere, even to people who aren't libertarians or people mm -hmm. who don't even like adhere to the philosophy necessarily. It, it plays out in our human interactions. Yes. And so it's something solid that you can point at and say, isn't it less expensive not to conflict with one another? Yes. If we can, uh, interact peacefully, doesn't that benefit us both? And you don't need to bring any other kind of like morality or philosophy into it. Just this is less expensive. Rational self-interest. Right. Right. But who's who's <laughs> going to build the damn roads? Dominoes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, as no, as we're, uh, Eric Bly would say. Fuck them ho ass roads. <laughs> no, we're just gonna we're gonna stand. The the guy at the mall is gonna stand on one side and I'm gonna stand on the other and we're gonna go, well, I guess can't get to the mall. <laughs> I, I don't suppose we would ever find a way to work it out if we needed yeah, to. There, there's no way that we could figure out how to lay down some asphalt. It's just yeah. thank God a for the great <laughs> a great example of that is in like 1912 or 1914 in Iowa. Something like 150 farmers got together and laid a road across the entire state in one day. And this is just people who got together to do this because they needed a road. They didn't need the government to tell them how and where and what. They just did it because they needed it. Um, recently, we had a series of storms happen in my area. Trees fallen down all over the place. Mm -hmm. There weren't enough government um, you know, trucks to get out there to get it out. So people went out there with their chainsaws. And they cut the trees and they moved them out of the road. If it's necessary, people will do it. And right. if it's not, they won't. And that's just, if people want parks and roads and schools, they will find a way to pay for them. They don't need a gun held to their head in order to build a park. We'll figure out a way. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll hold back the theology talk. I'll, I'll hold it back. But you, I mean, you I, can. I, 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 Go ahead. I really what were you gonna wanna, say? I really want to talk. No, 
I'll, we'll get to that later. That's a whole episode. Okay. We'll, we'll okay. plan on a whole episode for that. Um, but what I was going to ask you was during your time doing Godarchy and having the fireside chats and all of that, is there anything that you've learned in that time that has affected you while you've done your show? Hmm. Yeah, I think that there's been a, a lot of, uh, there's been a number of things that have been pretty challenging um, just in terms. So I've, I've wrestled a lot with defensive violence and, and mm -hmm. to what extent that is allowable. I think I'd say that's probably been the thing that doing this show has stretched me on the most, um, you know, talking to uh, our, our friend Ryan Burgett about uh, pacifism, yeah. those yeah. types of things uh, that, that has challenged me. Um, I think talking to, um, so I did a fireside chat with the, with the Muslim uh, guy that runs uh, Muslim libertarians. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that was interesting to kind of see from his perspective to, to understand and learn just how much his religion is misrepresented by what we hear in the mainstream. You know, um, he, he explained some really interesting things to me in terms of, you know, uh, like you'll hear this, uh, you'll hear this meme, especially on the right that, well, you can't believe anything a Muslim say because they're told that you can lie, you know? Right. Uh, and, and that's a complete bastardization of, of that actual, um, bit of theology which happens to only apply to this one little teeny set to begin with so you know things like that it's it's uh uh has has definitely definitely stretched my thinking and and i've, I've learned stuff you know this <laughs> this topic came up in my catechumen class last night as we were talking about romans 13 and samuel 8 we we also talked about defensive violence mm -hmm. and um because in the south where i am you know, everybody's got guns and oh, everybody's yeah. real gung ho about them. Yeah. Um, so the we were asking the father, you know, about like um, active shooters in churches, which we've seen one where the shooter was able to execute 26 people before finally turning the gun on himself. Right. And then another where um, one of the parishioners was was packing. Mm -hmm. and and took the guy out he was only able to kill two people yeah i remember that um so the father told us that there are you know very large greek orthodox churches that have uh sentries and those sentries are armed um mm -hmm. and there is this notion of martyrdom if you die for your faith you'll go to heaven right um but you can only choose martyrdom for yourself you can't decide that your family will be martyrs <laughs> right yeah, you can't decide your children will be <laughs> martyred you know so um that really put it in perspective for me like okay if i'm you know, defending others at that point. Like I'm, you know, I, I'm not going to make the choice for them that they should bow their heads and sh they should be right. struck from the earth. So, right. yeah, I just thought that that was so interesting that all of this came up in my catechumen class last night. Yeah. So I actually have things to say about it. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that was so good that yeah. the way that that's he a good, that's so a good, good way to think about it. Yeah. Cause he being a priest, you know, said, of course, I'm not going to, raise my hand in violence. You know, right. I'm, I'm the head of this church, you know, right. I'm not, I'm gonna, but I don't have the right to choose that for you. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay. And he, he left it very vague. It wasn't like, don't well, bring a gun. But I think, I think it is. And I think it is vague. I don't think that, you know, again, getting back to this, this idea of dogma. Um, I don't think that's something you can be dogmatic about. I, I don't mm -hmm. know that it's, you know, I don't know that it's wrong for p different people to, to have as long as you are are earnestly seeking 
I don't think I can say you're wrong to carry a gun, you know, to, to, a, to a fellow Christian any more than I can say to somebody who is an absolute pacifist. Well, you know, you must defend, you know, no, I, I think every, we, we have to make these decisions for, for ourselves and, and find our own place of comfort and peace. And um, I think that, that as long as we're wrestling with it, I think that's a healthy place. I think we should always mm -hmm. be wrestling with things like that. You know, that, yeah. Um, we don't, we don't want to get too comfortable in, in our, uh, and I have no idea, you know, how I would react. I do carry, um, I do carry a firearm out in, in the public world. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. It's going to depend on the situation of whether mm -hmm. or not I use that, you know? Mm -hmm. I always think it's fun when talking to Ryan about pacifism to ask him like the dumbest questions ever. <laughs> yes. You know, like right. just, just, just for my fun, because I, I think one time I asked him, I said, okay, him. I know you do. It's what I'm here for. Um, <laughs> but uh, I remember one, one point I asked him, okay, so you're in a room with your family and someone throws a grenade at you. Do you kick it back at them or do you let your family blow up? What do you do? <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> Cause I'm a dick. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're the guy that comes up with like the obscure, you know, libertarian question. Just to Ryan. No, actually, well, I always I, though. I there's always somebody doing about, that. Oh yeah. I, I just with Ryan, I kind of hate talking about libertarianism a lot of the time now, if I'm being yeah. honest, like once you grok something, you don't really need to delve into it, you know, till the end of time. Like I, there, there are certain things that I'm like, uh, I, do I have to have this conversation about property one more time or can we talk about something we haven't talked about before? Yeah. But also when you talk about li libertarianism, especially with non-libertarians, especially on social media, they're like, oh, you're a libertarian? Solve every problem that every human has <laughs> right? ever had until the end of time. And you're like, well, there, none of these problems would be solved in, in the libertarian, the anarcho world or the libertarian world. They're not solved in the world we live in now. Right. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to find a quote real quick. This is my favorite libertarian quote. Um, of course, you know, is it, I didn't sign shit. Uh. <laughs> on, on just on that note of OPSEC drips comment right there that um, the, the Bible only forbids sinful and unjustified murder. When we ask for the repentance of or forgiveness of our sins, we're asking for sins that we're aware of and unaware of intentional and unintentional. So like soldiers in a war, for example, many soldiers were drafted into wars and they right. had guns placed in their hands and had yep. to kill people. And it weighed terribly on their conscience. You know, sure. it wasn't as though you intended to go out and kill somebody, but you really didn't have a lot of options, but right. it still weighs on your soul. You still pulled that trigger yourself. And so we can ask for uh, the forgiveness of sins that were unintentional, sure. such as. Yeah. So this is from Robert Higgs. And, Love that uh, man. Yes, mm -hmm. one of my faves. He said, anarchists did not try to carry out genocide against Armenians in Turkey. They did not deliberately starve millions of Ukrainians. They did not create a system of death camps to kill Jews, gypsies, and Slavs in Europe. They did not firebomb scores of large German and Japanese cities and drop nuclear bombs on two of them. They did not carry out a great leap forward that killed scores of millions of Chinese. They did not attempt to kill anybody with any appreciable education in Cambodia. They did not launch one aggressive war after another. They did not implement trade sanctions that killed perhaps 500,000 Iraqi children. In debates between anarchists and statists, the burden of proof clearly should not rest on those who place their trust in the state. Anarchy's mayhem is wholly conjectural. The state's mayhem is undeniably factually horrendous. Mm -hmm. 
Oof. That ain't the <laughs> dang truth right there, man. Mm-hmm. And his, his quote about cops is also very good and quoted you know often. Um, I, I'll have to Google it. Um, but no, it's the, uh, I, I love it. Paraphrase? I'll Google it. Yeah, uh, I'll get that. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. Yeah. We, yeah, we live, we, we, we don't live in a perfect world. There's a lot of um, times where we're confronted with choices that are not good and none of the options that are available to us are good. Right. And there's compromise. And a lot of uh, like younger people, especially like in the political realm, they're very uncompromising because right. they've never had to compromise. Yeah. And um, one of the, the big time leaders of the um, French revolutions was the French revolution was this guy named Saint-Just and he was 25 years old and he wow. was a big fan of cutting off the heads of anyone who was impure. Mm-hmm. Well, because he was a child. He right. had been a schoolboy before the revolution had broken yeah. out. And that was the case with a lot of them as they were young guys. Yeah. And they felt so uncompromising in the way that, uh, you know, older people can't be because we've had to make choices that were not good. Right. And so I love that phrase that there are no uh, perfect solutions. There are only trade-offs. Yeah. And so when mm-hmm. people confront you with, oh, solve every human problem, like, well, I, I have some trade-offs. I have some ideas that yeah. might make some of us a little more free than we are now. And that's the best I can offer you. Yeah. And that's, that's it's gotta be- you know, fundamentally it's economics, you know, mm-hmm. economics is really what drives all politics. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that we have scarce resources, that we don't have everything that we need, that the world does not provide us with everything that we need. So the, right. the political question is how do we best allocate these scarce resources to increase human flourishing to the largest extent possible. Anarchism, libertarianism cannot create resources that don't exist. So as long as there are scarce resources, there's always going to be problems. There's always going to be people in need. There's always going to be, as you say, that is economics. It's compromises, it's choices. My position is voluntary associations create a better allocation of resources than political calculation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's really fundamentally why I am a quote unquote libertarian voluntarist, because I have no faith in central planners to centrally plan. They can't do it. They don't have the information. They don't have the knowledge. They don't have the wherewithal to micromanage the universe. So mm-hmm. let's allow markets to work because as imperfect as they are, they will ultimately pr- yield better results and a better allocation of resources and more flourishing for more people than if we let Joe Biden and Donald Trump allocate the world's resources. I agree. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I did find the quote, and I think that this is a an important, it's actually a, an important conversation to have because, you know, we, as anarchists, we talk about cops in not the most favorable light. Right. And there's this this idea that people have out there that, oh, well, my Uncle Charlie is a good cop. He's a good guy. I know him. He's, he's, he's a good guy. He takes care of his family. But I think that when we're having the conversation about cops, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about your Uncle Charlie when he's at church. We're not talking about your Uncle Charlie when he's at home or when he's grilling or when he's not on the job. And this is the kind of the anarchist answer, which is from Robert Higgs, which is the good cop, bad cop question can be disposed of decisively. We, We need only to consider the following. One, every cop has agreed as part of his job to enforce laws, all of them. 
Two, many of the laws are manifestly unjust or even cruel and wicked. And Mm -hmm. three, therefore, every cop has agreed to act as an enforcer of laws that are manifestly unjust or even cruel and wicked. There are no good cops. This is talking about the job. Mm -hmm. It's not talking about your uncle. It's talking about the fact that he voluntarily chooses to do evil to other people. Whether or not he realizes that. Yeah. And I think that that's an important distinction to make. Yeah. It's, you know, it's almost, I mean, you could put it this way. There are, insofar as there are good people, there are good Mm -hmm. people who are cops, but that they're not good cops. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. There's that distinction that needs to be understood. Because when I talk about how much I hate cops, it's not that I hate your uncle. (laughs) I don't know your uncle. Yeah. I just hate what they do. I hate the evil that happens and I don't want any part of it. Yeah. So. It's sad though, because so many people get wrapped up into these things when they are in a place of ignorance, mm-hmm. especially, you know, you see my, uh, my nephew just graduated from high school and he's, he wants to go in the air force. He's going to go into the air force. Bummer. Yeah. And it's like, no, no, but I mean, he doesn't <laughs> get it. He doesn't have the frame of reference to, uh, and we've tried to explain it to him, you know, his, his, uh, his, my sister, his mom is, is somewhat like-minded. Um, and she's certainly like-minded when it comes to the, the state's wars. Um, but, but he doesn't know and he doesn't know what he doesn't know. And I, I fear that, you know, in, in, for so many of these kids, they they go in and they think, well, we're going to, you know, I'm going to pay for college someday, or I'm going to protect the United States, you know, whatever, whatever BS that they're, that they're buying into. Um, you know, and then they come out with PTSD and, 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 maimed bodies and souls it's it's a sad thing do you know how how fewer military men we would have if they made you wait until you were 25 and your brain's fully developed for sure to make that choice like (laughs) i because i remember like i've I've told this before like i had a uh, a chance to a chance to join and if i hadn't heard a ron paul speech right of what a week or two before I met with that recruiter, I probably would have be, be living a completely different life. Yeah. And thank God for Ron Paul. <laughs> I've been dating my now husband since we were in our very early twenties and he was considering going into the Navy. And I told him I'm, I probably won't be here when you get back. Yeah. And he decided not to go. Well, we're married now. <laughs> um, yeah. And he ended up going into private industry and is now a scientist and doing much better things for the world than yeah. he would have otherwise done as a automaton for the military. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't have uh, any noble Ron Paul-esque reasons, but I'm glad I kept at least one man out of their ranks. Yeah, so. I was just I was just outright lucky because I was uh, I was on the path to Navy ROTC. I wanted to be a fighter pilot and mm. um, I had some physical things that disqualified me from being a fighter pilot. So I decided I didn't want to just go into the Navy. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's the direction that I was going to. And that's just, I mean, I had no revelation. I was like very disappointed. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. So. You would be, you'd be pro- so proud of me, Jessica. I almost made a genital joke. We have gone through this entire show without mentioning genitals. Without a single genital joke. Wow. I'm really proud of us. Yeah. We're usually about 20 minutes in and we're making dick jokes. So, so we should probably end this before. (laughs) (laughs) But so here is the thing. I wanted to ask you a couple of questions. We, 
we tend to ask everyone who comes on these questions. Okay. Uh, one of the new ones that were that was added to the list was the tarot card pizza question. Um, <laughs> Jessica made a statement on Twitter, and I'm now holding her to that statement because I Correct. think it's funny and because she has to think on the fly. Um, what is your favorite kind of pizza? And then she will tell you what that means. What it means about you, yeah. <laughs> favorite kind of pizza. Like so if like, you were to yes. order a pizza right now, what toppings would it have on there? All right, so I'm I'm pretty plain Jane, or I guess plain Joe, uh, when it comes to pizza. So I would probably do a, a uh, regular or thick crust with uh, mushroom, pepperoni, and sausage. Mm, my man. That is actually almost the perfect pizza without peppers on it i would put peppers on it I but um i wouldn't yeah. order peppers but i would eat a pizza with peppers on it I because would. you're a good man i appreciate you course, yeah okay, yeah no, that so was I, weird. I, I don't understand i don't understand so what it so <laughs> basically i said on twitter one day just because i thought it was funny that what you order <laughs> on your pizza tells me everything i need to know about you and it was really just to like rile up the pineapple people because they get really hairy online yeah, about do. their pineapple. That, that's, yeah, right? that's a that's a thing. <laughs> but I am in no way a pizza fascist. I um, <laughs> appreciate all kinds of pizza, and even okay. pizza toppings I don't like. I'll, I'll have a slice. It's yeah. pizza, you yeah. know. That's the great leveler in sure. the world is that we all like pizza in one form or another. So I just yeah. think that means that you are um, a sturdy individual who can be counted on for a good pizza, and that's no. what I'll say about that. No, I'm hungry. <laughs> do you like horror movies? Do I like horror movies? Yeah. Oh, I do it. not like horror movies. Really? Do not you at all? Have you ever have you ever seen one that you did like? Not really. It's okay, just... let me let me reverse but, that. What is the one you saw that was just like I hate this movie? I don't like being scared. Okay. So okay. anything anything that has the 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 suspense element where there's things jumping out and I'm going to I don't I don't like that. I don't like that way that makes me feel. Okay. Now, okay. Strangely enough, I do like horror books. Like I love Stephen King. So like okay. reading it's a different thing for me, but it's yes. really more the thing that I don't like to be startled. Like if you come up behind me and 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 you know like do that. Ah, I'm I'm liable to turn around and punch you just out of uh, out of uh, that i don't like that yeah i don't like it either i'm the same exact way i get really mad about it's, it actually. it's the same it's it's kind of the same reason i don't drink i just don't like the way it makes me feel okay mm. okay fair enough that's a fair answer we won't press them on it right. yeah, we, so we're, we have a uh, hundred nights of horror movie challenge it's the biggest horror movie challenge on the internet it's to watch 100 horror movies from july 23rd to october 31st no no one yeah. has completed it it's very difficult to complete this challenge cam is the most with 58 um but that's as far as anyone has gotten so what we what we're doing basically is collecting for our list um uh -huh. that will begin anew on july 23rd yes well you so if you don't out. have one that's fine fair enough that's fine we won't press you on it yeah <laughs> your pizza was but, good enough good good but here's the here's the important question because okay. yeah the, one of the, the big, big things that we like to focus on like i talked about earlier is uh the future creation mm -hmm. hope mm -hmm. um white pills as they call them mm -hmm. and so um a lot of times I, I i feel like i have to preface it every time just to make sure it's clear because i'll say what's your white pill and people will go oh well politically this or in the news this but it doesn't mm -hmm. have to be that. Um, what is something in your life or above 
grand, global, whatever, that you feel gives you hope for the future? What gives you some glimmer of we can do this, we can continue on, we can win in some way? What, okay. what, what sparks that in you? Yeah, this is going to sound weird. Sports. Hey. Okay. That's and one not, we haven't had before. Okay, but not from, I mean, I think your, your immediate thought is going to be like watching sports on TV. For me, it's, it's more participating in sports and having spent a lot of time in locker rooms because I have experienced firsthand a lot of penises. There yep. it is. <laughs> there it is. Well done. Well done. That's not full circle. That's that's not wrong, but that's not where I was going. Um, no, you can take a a very diverse and uh, people that really have very little in common, mm. put them together on a team with a common goal to win this game. Mm-hmm. And you will bring that group of people together as uh, as tight as a family. So when I went yeah. back to school to the University of South Florida, I played uh, two years of club college hockey. And at the time, I was forty years old, so I was I was like dad. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm with all these twenty, and we had but we had guys from every imaginable background. We had, a, we had a guy from Russia and a guy from Germany on the team. So we had different cultures. Uh, we had, we had a black guy. We had people that were from the left. We had people that were on the right. We had people that were artists, people that wanted to be business. I mean, just this diverse group of people that to this day, I'm still friends with and very close to a lot of those guys. Um, because we had this thing that brought us together that transcended all of these other isms. So that makes me know for a fact that we don't have to be slaves to racism, sexism, homophobism, whatever ism that you want to be out there. That's not the way people are wired to think. That is a product of politics. When you put a group of people together, you, you gave the perfect example with the, you know, when the trees are down the road, everybody gets together and they do what they have to do to get the road clear. It doesn't matter if your neighbor is a Democrat or Republican or, you know, if they're gay or straight or, or all that stuff is not important when you are working towards a common goal when you have true community and i've seen that true community in a locker room so that i i know that in it, it can exist and people yeah. can come together and work together toward common goals towards human flourishing uh without you know having to have all of this political crap shoved on top of them i'm convinced that most of the division and strife in the world is caused by the fucking politicians all politicians Amen. are bastards Sociopaths. You know, it's so so interesting because when we talk about politics, the uh, team sports analogy gets brought up so many times. It's almost second nature to associate it with the political duopoly. Mm-hmm. But th- you've put team sports in a whole new light in that way. And yeah. it, that's beautiful. That's, yeah, that's a not, wonderful hope pill for me. You're not murdering your opponents. You're beating <laughs> them and then you're shaking hands most of the time afterwards. Yeah. In hockey, you may be fighting in the middle of the ring. But hey, that's the draw. That's what white people bring to sports. <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, funny, funny story. I, I was, uh, I got to be pretty good. So I had, I had a brief moment where 
little known fact about Mike Meharry. I was actually a professional athlete for a very, very brief moment. Uh, by professional meaning, I signed a professional contract. I never got paid because I got cut the night before the first game. So oh, it was a, it was a very short. This is actually professional roller hockey, which was a thing in the nineties. Okay, um, but I got to be friends with them. So a lot of these guys were from minor league ice hockey, and they came and played roller hockey in the summer to stay in shape and and you know not sit around and get fat. And uh, there was one of the guys that I got to know pretty well was was a quote unquote enforcer. So he's one of the guys that would go out and fight. And uh, so I got to kind of the inside look at the job of the enforcer. And you would literally see these guys, you know, get in a fight and then they go have a beer after the game. So, you know, it's not it's not a personal thing at all. It's just it's part of the dynamics of of this game, which we could get into a whole episode about. yeah, hockey enforcers and and violence in hockey, but we won't we do should that. probably do that at some point because I feel like yeah, that is down. more interesting to me than some of the things. That, <laughs> I'm not trying to be mean, but I've heard a lot of things where I'm just like, why are you talking about this? And that really, mean. actually, it really is quite fascinating. Back in in the in the early days of hockey, the the way the enforcer, uh, the best way to put it, it was like it's like taking the the steam out of a pressure cooker Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. by allowing players to kind of police themselves on the ice it kept a lot of really nasty dangerous stuff out of the game and over the last 10 or 20 years you've seen a move away from fighting and they've tried to get that out of the game and as a result you've seen a large increase in nasty stick work hits from behind things that if you did that back in the eighties or nineties, some big goon would come beat the hell out of you. And so there was an incentive to behave yourself on the ice. It was like, you know, kind of the, so it it is a really interesting dynamic. And if anybody really wants, if you want to get into it, there's a, a, there's a documentary called ice guardians that I think is on Netflix. um, Okay. That, that you can check out. I saw, Hockey, from yeah. a hockey game the other day and this guy he was trying to he was shooting the goal and when he hit it his stick hit the ground and broke yeah. and so but he he made contact with the puck so the puck was like scooting across the ground and the um the stick that had come off was flying past the goalie's head so he thought that was the puck and the puck just kind of <laughs> right into the goal. And I was like, this is some good stuff. I I don't know why I enjoyed that so much. That's a, uh, (laughs) that's a, that's a thing for a goalie. So I'm a goalie. I know about, I know about that. Any movement that that's why a lot of times, you know, if you get a guy in in front of you and he swings his stick, it'll just that little bit of motion will take your focus off the puck. And you know, when the puck's moving 80 miles an hour, you don't have a whole lot of uh, room for uh, room for air. Are you st- you're still playing hockey in in Florida, right? Mm-hmm. How's that going? Because I know you had some hip trouble at some point. Oh, I still or, or have something hip. trouble. Yeah, I've, I have arthritis. I have uh, pretty significant arthritis in one of my hips, which makes it a challenge. I uh, take a lot of CBD and do a lot of stretching, and I'm too stubborn to quit. So, hey, I I actually respect the hell out of that. Like yeah. so much. I'm sure that there are people out there who'd be like, just just it's like me and motorcycles in a sense, because like, I'm not going to stop riding a motorcycle, no matter how many people tell me not to, I'm going to still ride them. If I die, I die. Hello, Jesus. You, you you need some, (laughs) you need things in life 
that are your own realm and domain. You know what I'm saying? Right. So like, you know, I do politics all day, every day between shift cold work, 10th amendment center work. I'm constantly immersed in news. And, and then of course you got family stresses going out on the ice is the one place <clears throat> where I can block all of that out and focus on this one thing. It, it's really actually very important to my mental health to have that outlet. And I don't know what I'm going to do when I can't play anymore. I'm going to have to yeah, you're gonna figure out a motorcycle. Something. <laughs> I got, um, maybe I'll buy another <laughs> but no, th and that's that's the same for me. I have told people like there's the 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 meme that um, white white men would really bl blank instead of going to therapy, but it's true. I would much rather ride a motorcycle than go to therapy for that same reason because when I'm riding a motorcycle, for one, I'm paying attention to everything around me, mm -hmm. so it's like transcendent. Not to Total mention, focus. yeah, if you if you want to understand the place that you live ride a motorcycle because you'll smell the honeysuckles mm -hmm. but you'll also smell the rotting fish like you know where to go you can smell the the different area like there's something so beautiful to it and the fact that you're thinking and you're working at you know full bore but at the same time you're thinking of nothing mm. and there's peace and i can't imagine something better than that because it's it's a way to to disconnect from the rat race yeah as it were you should try stopping a hockey puck I, th I think that I, I should, <laughs> but, but I'm, I'm 32 and I've never, I've not been on the ice since I was probably 16. So yeah. maybe not. I'm looking forward not. to your forthcoming black eye. <laughs> Who mine? No, his, yeah. if he decides to try to stop a hockey, hockey puck, I am looking forward to his forthcoming black eye. Well, you do have a beautiful thing called a mask. That's true. So. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've yeah, been playing some kind of pussy. I've been I am playing, so yeah. anti-mask that I won't wear a goalie mask. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been playing most of my life and have never had a facial injury. Knock on wood. Nice. That's why you're yeah, I've, had, no, I've had a concussion, but I've never had like a cut or like anything like that. I have all mm. my toothpicks. That's good because I For have hockey known player, hockey players yeah. that don't have. <laughs> well, they're not goalies though. No, but in most, <laughs> most hockey players, most like in NHL, they only wear the little half visor that comes down to their nose. So, I mean, yes, yeah, it's a stick up or a puck up. I mean, I get hit in the mask probably on a weekly basis, but now think about those guys back in the forties and fifties who played goalie without a mask. I can't, I no. can't. Um, that's insane. Should yeah. I float that last question I asked you that's very uncomfortable and put you on the spot again, Mike? Do you I remember? I don't remember what it is, but we could do it. It'll be the last thing, and then I'll go. It, it'll be it. the last thing, and then I'll I'll tell everyone where to find you. Okay. Um, what's your favorite thing about me? <laughs> <laughs> My favorite thing about you? About me, yeah. Huh. That's a good question. What if I said there isn't a favorite thing about you? I think, well, see, I've, I've asked you this thrice, I think. So this is the third time. The first time you said my beard. Second time I, I you said like your beard. that I'm good people. And so I'm just wondering, is there a well, third answer? The first thing that came to mind, and, and people are going to think this is this is weird. And, and But I think you have a, I think you have a sweet spirit. Oh, thank oh, you. I mean, yeah, I also have no, a very mean That's spirit true. at times. Well, no, we all do. We all do. <laughs> Believe me. You should, you should come inside my head sometime. You, that's not a place anybody <laughs> wants to be. But no. Um, you know, I don't know. 
Well, so I appreciate that's that. Well, I don't ever. With, I don't remember you asking me that question. To be honest with you, I blocked it. I blocked the experience out. <laughs> Does I love it just it so to torture much. people? It's that because the the sweet spirit uh, always bows to my um, interest in trolling someone. But yeah. with that, um, I will tell people where where they can find you. If you want to bow out after that, after you're able to add whatever I missed, uh, you can. Or if you want to listen to all of my bullshit after that, you can do that too. Up to yeah. you. I'm a good um, bed. I know yeah, it's yeah. like I'm old. It's like nine forty. It's time. I know that. That's why we did this at eight because and last time I did very it at much like appreciated. 10. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I like to I like to respect my elders. Um, so if As you, you want to find Mike on Twitter, go to at m Meharry tenth. He works with the Tenth Amendment Center. Speaking of, if you don't pay attention to what they do, you should. Tenth uh, Amendment Center or they have a Twitter as well at Tenth Amendment Center. Your boy, Mike, is an author. He wrote a book called The Constitution Owner's Manual, which is right behind him. And you can get that on Amazon. I don't I don't know if there's a better place to get it, but I know it's on Amazon. You can go so. to constitutionownersmanual.com, and it will show you all of the buying options, which include uh, Amazon, Kindle, paperback. You can get a signed copy directly from me. It's also available as an audiobook. And... Um, if you're at all interested in what this constitution was supposed to be, that's the book for you. Awesome. Also, if you want to see what else he's up to, michaelmeharry.com. And if you're not listening, if you're a Christian and you're not listening to Godarchy, you're a bad Christian. If, yeah. if you're not a Christian, you're not listening to Godarchy, you're missing out on a perspective that you either haven't considered before or may have blotted out, and Mike is a very great person to listen to in these ways. He's articulate, he's intelligent, and he brings the meat. So, <laughs> listen to God Archie. Um, is, <laughs> is there anything I missed? Oh, wait, uh, Schiff Gold's Gold Rap Podcast. Yeah. Um, Friday Gold Rap Podcast. Also, the name of your interview show should be The Golden Hour with Mike Meharry. Yeah, actually, we've, we've finally settled on a name. For that? the for the show, it's going to be called Gold Exchange, an interview oh. series by Shift Gold, or not gold like metal that. metal exchange. Gold Exchange was the first like idea, but but um, exchanging, I get it, I get yeah, it. Yeah, see, clever. Duh. Um, Duh. And and so we had to, so we basically I I I had some other ideas that I probably would have gone with, but I had to the bosses had to sign off. So, uh, well, I tried. I tried to get out there. I just got it out there too late. Yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate you, Mike. I enjoy it every time you come on. I like talking to you, which is the conversation we had before we got on here. Is yeah. I just want to talk to you. I like you. That's what. I, that's the conversation I want to have, and I've 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 enjoyed it. So thank you for coming on. We'll have you on, even though you didn't choose a horror movie. We'll do this again, and you can pick the topic, and we can just talk about that the whole time. Does that okay, sound, well, sound it's, doable? It's either going to be hockey or music. Hey. Either way, both. or both. Yeah, yeah. We can do that. Um, so with that, I will move into my boring stuff, and you have a good night. I'm gonna Thank peace you, out. Thank you, guys. I, I do. I appreciate you. This was fun. This was a this is a unique format, and it was cool. We talked about a lot of stuff. Thank you. <laughs> you have a good nice night, to meet man. You, Mike. you too. You too. <laughs> All right. And so, people who are sticking around. If you don't know where to find us, I mean, do better. Like, I'm on Twitter at Cam Harless. I'm trying my best not to say bad words. I'm failing terribly. 
Jessica's Square doing jar. a little bit better. Uh, you can find I, you can find me at Cam Harless. You can find uh, Jessica at Soup Canarchist. We have shirts, as she showed you. We have tanks. We have t-shirts. We've got hoodies. We've got pop sockets. We've got everything. There's also I'm going to give you a little preview here. If you go on our our at to wearethemadones.com/store, you can see the shirts that I've already put up for our hundredth episode. A little teaser. A little teaser for what we have going. I meant to share that tonight, but you know what? I forgot, and that's okay. We'll do it the week before. Get it on the next one. Yeah. Our hundredth episode is not next week because next week we have Maddie from Voluntary Vixens. After that, hundredth episode. I do have something planned. Let's see if it works out. But beyond that, we'll figure it out. Um, if you aren't following us on Rockfin or on Odyssey or YouTube, you should. All of those just type, well, actually not Odyssey. Odyssey's a little annoying. You have to search for the mad ones there. But YouTube and um, Rockfin just slash the mad ones. That's the easiest way to get to it. Um, we also have, like I said, we have t-shirts. I'm going to say that again because I'm excited about it. We're the madones.com slash store. Um, if you want to listen instead of watch, which is dumb because look how beautiful Jessica is. Why would you not want... <laughs> Why would you not want to watch, you ass? Um, <laughs> you can go to wearethemadones.com and listen directly there. Um, you can also on any podcatcher. But here's the deal. the Only the last 10 episodes can you reach, can you get to without, I mean, we're trying, I'm trying to keep the show going. And right now I don't have a job, guys. So Aside last 10 from episodes. Torturing me. That's true. That's but that's the the best job. Um, <laughs> if you want to, you can listen to the last ten episodes for free. Otherwise, you can go to Rockfin or to Odyssey and get to them that way. Little uh, Rockfin is nine ninety nine a month, and you don't just get us. You get Monica Perez in the Propaganda Report. You get Sam Tripoli and his different different things he's working on. There's a lot of stuff there. My friend um, uh, Whippin Spoon signed up for Rockfin and got rid of Netflix. <laughs> Because that has been more entertaining to him than Netflix. And that's that's saying something, I think. I mean, honestly, like, if you're a fan of, like, Jimmy Dore or Tim Pool, any of those guys, anything that they have that gets removed from YouTube is still on Rockfin. So that's the place to go, man. Yeah. Not to mention that we are now on Patreon. So if you want to support us directly with cash, you can do that. We have tiers. Some of those tiers come with uh, some parties some live streams with just us talking. Uh, also, the higher ones, you get Zoom calls. Hell, if you give me a certain amount of money a month, I'll give you my cell phone number. I swear to God, I'll do it. No, I won't. And Maybe he'll give you feet pictures. I might give you feed pictures. That's, that's an option. <laughs> but last two things I want to say. If you aren't listening to OPSEC Drip on YouTube, it's a one-minute show each week. The dude's great. He brings you one story from an actual newspaper and tells you what it's about and what he thinks is coming. And if you like coffee, get some coffee from Lorenzotti.coffee, which Jessica is always drinking on the show. It may be tea, but hey, that's what we're telling people. It's no, it's coffee, coffee today. Oh, good. There's no more. Oh, good. But <laughs> uh, coffee. We'll say the bad ones eventually. Eventually. I'll get it figured out. But when you go there, Make your order, try it, throw in promo code the mad ones. But every time you reorder, use the same promo code. Get 10% off, helps us out. 
every time. So don't just like it and then continue buying it at full price. Keep throwing it in there because I've been told it works each time. Every I don't time. Know if that's true. Yeah. No, I does, no, I use it. It does. It does. And if you order a big enough bag, they send you a little personal note thanking you. Nice. So do that <laughs> yeah. every time. That helps us out. It one of the things I like to do, I don't know if you've noticed on Twitter, if someone comes on the show, I like to send them a shirt. That pays for the shirts. That pays for the little bit of, hey, thank you for coming on our show every time we have one. Do that. Beyond that, I've got nothing. You got any last white pills for people? Anything that you want to share before we go? Oh, I don't know. Um, just, you know, guys, we have that horror movie challenge coming up on uh, starts on July 23rd. If you have any movie suggestions, um, it's always a challenge to put together a list of 100 movies that we've never seen before. So, you know, hit me up on Twitter, send me an email, leave comments in the comment section, whatever you do, um, and let me know what your favorite horror movies are so we can get them on the list. And with that, we will release you from the torture that is our show, which I think is pretty good. I hear good things. Only two dick jokes. Just two. Good. Just yeah. two. I mean, and it was like well into the show. I mean, you have to be proud of me. Mm -hmm. um, but with that, as I like to say at the end, oh, I didn't say who's coming. Maddie, 100th episode. Then the week after that, Nick Ashley. And then July oh, yeah. 7th, Shane Hazel's going to join us. Mm -hmm. That's all you need to know. With that, be the glitch you want to see in the Matrix. <laughs>